Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and joining me on this week's episode is Darby Robinson. Darby, spring training has begun. Man, does it feel good. Uh, seeing box scores, right? Isn't it just the greatest feeling? You get to wake up one morning and there are box scores online to look at. Oh, it's the best. It's it's like the, it feels like the end of winter. It, it's right. how I kind of set my calendar. Cause yeah, you get you get your box scores, you get some some good early season overreactions. You get you get to see some highlights of actual uh, like major leaguers and minor leaguers interacting and playing. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's 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 baseball, but in its almost not final form, but just like its most fun form. Yeah. It, it also, like we have as baseball fans, as irrational baseball fans, uh, which we talked about when we reviewed uh, Fever Pitch on the Who's on Worst podcast. Uh, there are like multiple days where we say like, oh, baseball's back. Usually the first day is like truck day when all the trucks leave for spring training. It's like, oh, right, baseball's right. finally back. And then you get like the early reports of players who have reported to camp early. Oh, baseball's back. First day for pitchers and catchers. Baseball's back. First full squad workout. Baseball's back. And like we have all these days where it's like it feels like a different type of opening day before we even actually get to the, to the real opening day. And yeah, the first spring training game, Rays beat the Braves 9-7. There was no TV broadcast, so... I can tell you what happened in the game, but I really don't know how it went down. I did listen to Dave and, and Andy on, on on the MLB app, but there was no TV from the game. I know Austin Meadows hit a home run. Mike Brasso hit a home run. And it, who hit the walk-off home run? It was, it was, I was uh, Tristan Gray. Yeah, Tristan Gray, who was the part of the Corey Dickerson trade. Correct. Correct. So, yeah. yeah big, Pittsburgh big Pirates still reeling. They they <laughs> they get to take L's even on the smallest deals. <laughs> <laughs> and it, like going back to the, the, the game itself, it was only a seven inning game. We're only going to see seven inning games through March 13th. I think is the date they're looking to extend them to nine inning games. And the game doesn't really play like an exhibition game. It plays more like an intra squad scrimmage where they'll just up and end innings. Like the Rays had two on and two outs, but the pitcher for the Braves had hit his pitch count for the day. So they just pulled the teams off the field and went to the next inning. They're calling them rollover innings, but the thing is they don't really roll over. The inning just kind of ends in tough luck. Yeah, this, this is the type of thing, which is always super funny when you do get the overreactions from fans or from writers. There will be some people <laughs> out there on Twitter just just deciding to have a take. Uh there was a good one today, and I can't remember who it was by. It was so good that I don't know if it was a parody. And it if it was on purpose, a troll or a joke, expert level. But yeah, that's that's the thing where you really can't overreact to the box scores right now because you do have, it, it's all just, everybody's just trying to get their work in. You know, you, right. you have some some younger guys that are trying to, to get a splash play, get a highlight, you know, get their really good work in and maybe try to earn a, a place in the squad. But you get a lot of the vets that are just, they're just there to kind of shake some cobwebs off. They're trying to get their bat speed up. They're trying to get some, maybe work on a pitch and yeah, there's a rollover inning and there's just the, no, nothing of real value can be known in the first day of spring training uh, games. And, and for most part, it's, you don't need to know like all oh, those guys hitting 450. He's definitely making the squad. It's 
but it's fun. It's still fun. And I definitely don't think you shouldn't uh, have some fun with it, but uh, don't, don't read too much into it because you know, they're just out there having fun. It, it was really funny. Like, like I said, there's no TV broadcast. It was a radio broadcast, but for people that were following along on like MLB.com's GameCast, they had to score the first rollover inning when the Rays had two on and two out as Mick Anderson was placed on third base. And then they, Mick Anderson was out. Like they had just had to pick a random pitcher off the roster that wasn't going to appear in that day's game. So I'm just trying to imagine, because I'm sure there were people that were solely following the game on game, game day or game cast or whatever it's called. And I'm like, what do you mean Nick Anderson entered the game in third base? You know what? It's Kevin Cash. He's just making <laughs> brilliant moves. We don't question the genius. It's We are one of the few teams, though, with the with the Rays. This That's one of the few teams, if you are following them, where you'd have to take a second to be like, I, I don't know why this happened, but it's possible. <laughs> I, it's a new strategy. Well, I know like there was a couple of times a few years ago when Hunter Wood was used as like a true pinch runner because he was quick. Like he was used. He, he broke a up a great double play opportunity, almost, almost, uh, almost illegally, um, <laughs> but wasn't called that way, and, and helped win a game. So yeah, yeah, pinch running. Uh, we've had Waxitachi swaps where you have a, a pitcher yeah. at first or at third. You've even had a pitcher at third base. So uh, not impossible, but uh, yeah, fun, fun quirk of the scorers having to adjust to uh, new rules. Yeah, no, definitely. It's something that you wonder even after uh, we're past we're past COVID nineteen and next year or the year after, like is this something that's going to stick around in spring training with these rollover innings or 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 both teams being able to agree upon, um, you know, just changing the rules slightly in terms of what they need to work on that day because compared to the other big four major sports in this country, like spring training is the most like real baseball because you can't really fake baseball like if you're playing you're playing a game and there's a lot of substitutions but like preseason football is unwatchable preseason basketball is the same way spring training baseball games can be fun to go to but this is it's just a little weird it's going to take some time to get used to uh, but darby we're a couple of weeks now we've had full squad workouts we're reading early reports what's your favorite part about spring training uh, consuming spring training as a fan I love to see guys coming in and, and just those early glimpses of folks and sort of seeing who's been, we always hear about best shape of their life season, right? Everybody has yeah. comes in with their story like, oh, they lost like 15 pounds. They added muscle. They're feeling great. This is the most tuned their body's ever been. But really interesting to see who, who, got, who comes in and starts hot, who starts that really maybe put in that really extra work or is like super, super like locked in early on it doesn't necessarily matter because that can fade as spring goes on they can it can lead to some slow starts but it definitely is always interesting to see this is the first time people put on a uniform they've really been competitive for months potentially and you know this is now the opportunity to to try out some stuff but it's always fun to see pitchers try out some new pitches we've been seeing glass now with the uh with the slutter uh <laughs> his his new pitch want to see that in action and it's good to see like i like awesome meadows who went who went yard today just seeing him you know run seeing him bat putting in some swings randy got a nice sharp single today seeing those swings because it's like okay is randy gonna come come strong how does he start after this huge off season coming off of his breakout performance austin meadows had a really rough year physically mentally just 
the whole COVID thing really hit him hard. How's he coming in? So it's not a lot to see, but those are the fun early bits to sort of get these glimpses of trying something new, coming in, testing out that off-season body that you've been working on so hard and uh, really testing out that best shape of your life. My, my least favorite part of spring training is like the dread of waiting for a big injury that could happen. And so far, luckily, and I'll say this because I'm not super superstitious. Uh, I'm just a little stitious, as uh, Michael Scott would say. Uh, and I'll knock on what as I say this. The Rays haven't had to deal with any new major injury issues. The only news we have is that Kevin Kiermaier's hips are a little sore, which might just be veteran guys showing up to camp, taking a little more, you know, a few more days to get back in the full swing of things. And obviously to play the games, the Rays have plenty of guys that can that can fill in the outfield and, and center field specifically. But Darby, should, should we be worried about KK's hips? Not yet. Uh, <laughs> not yet. Not yet. With I think I think you might be right. I think it might be a little bit of uh, you know he's he's the, he's the vet in the clubhouse. He maybe gets to take a little bit extra time. Um, he is a guy that has had a lot of interesting small nicks and dings over the years, and so it's something to look at. Uh, I think the Rays are with with their roster construction. They have this weird log jam at center field, which that depth starting spring training is pretty good because you do, like you say, you do see some, some, you know, injuries or dings and stuff like that. And you don't want to be going into the start of the season kind of really kind of shuffling. Um, And with KK it's, it's, you want to take it easy. He's, he's a guy that goes hard. He's, he's uh, sometimes a little bit of an over boogie as Joe Madden used to say. Uh, So you, you kind of want to make sure that he stays healthy, that he's, uh, you know, gets through spring relatively healthy, but uh, I'm not worried yet, but always something to keep an eye on. I think the other thing I'm excited about, but also dreading you mentioned is, is uh, seeing Brett Honeywell throw. He's yeah. not going to be throwing until a couple weeks. He, he's uh, I guess later in March is where they're sort of um, closer to the start of the season is when they're going to kind of ramp him up into actual games. Um, but it's been so long for him that I'm really excited to see him pitch but I know my heart's going to be stopped for every single throw just to hope everything stays, uh, stays healthy. But yeah, that's that spring is just, if you, it doesn't matter how well you perform, but if you can just get through spring healthy, that's, that's a win lose. It doesn't, the box score, the, the wins losses, it just stay healthy. That's the only, that's the only thing you need to score on. Staying healthy is the only way to start the season one and out. Uh, and, and Brett Honeywell, I think, in terms of his health, and I want to go back to Kiermaier in a second, but for, for Brent Honeywell specifically, the fact that he was given that extra option here, which I think was always expected, but if it wasn't given, like he would be fighting for a roster spot or he'd be DFA'd like by the end of by the end of spring if he couldn't make the roster. The fact that he has that extra option now in the bag, there's less pressure. I don't think he expects to make the opening day roster. He knows he can just get back into the swing of things, go to Durham join that group of, of young pitchers, and there's going to be plenty of good ones in AAA, and start to work himself back into it. He doesn't have the pressure of trying to force his way onto the team. Going back to Kiermaier, maybe I'm putting my, my tinfoil hat on here a bit, but we've heard his comments about he's really glad he wasn't traded. He'd love to play for the race his whole career. This has kind of been his sentiment for a long time now because we've heard Kiermaier trade rumors for a few years. I'm wondering if he goes, oh, these trade talks, these have, they haven't really quieted down. 
my hips are really bothering me. You, you I don't know if, it, if, if I'm worth trading for guys. So, uh, no, I, again, I'm not worried yet until maybe if his hips are still sore a week or two from now, then it's like, mm, is he going to start the season on the IL? It might be good for the Rays logjam, like you mentioned, on the roster where you've got Brett Phillips with, with no options left. You've got Yoshi Tsutsuga, who you owe a lot of money to. And you've already got like Austin Meadows, who you really don't know where you're going to play. He was at the DH today, had a great day at the plate. Um, but yeah, not worried yet. And we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about the way the Rays are constructing their pitching staff for the 2021 season. And we're back talking about the Rays pitching staff in, entering into spring training and ultimately what they're going to try to do once the season starts. Darby, you and I talked throughout the offseason kind of had the feeling we knew they had brought in Michael Walker. We've known that for a while. We thought maybe they go out and bring one more veteran pitcher. They do that. It's Chris Archer. We talked about that. We thought, okay, great. That seems like they've got a rotation. You would have had Glass now, Yarbrough, Walker, Archer, and then one of either uh, Fleming, Patino, McClanahan, Richards, McKay, whenever he's healthy. That seemed like a per- perfectly fine pitching staff. But then they go out. And they add Rich Hill and Colin McHugh. Both guys have dealt with injuries. Colin McHugh didn't pitch at all last year. He opted out of the season. So I think there's bigger question marks around these two guys, similar to the Archer signing. But what were your thoughts? Like, Were you shocked that they went out and got the, these two guys? A little. I think a little surprised. Um, I think both guys are super crazy. Like They're exactly the type of pitchers that the Rays go after. So I'm a little surprised. They go, I think the surprise is they got both. I think one makes a lot of sense. Two is actually a really pleasant surprise because it's like, Hey, I like both these guys. I I'm excited about what Waka can do. I'm really excited about Archer back, but it sort of felt like you kind of had to choose like, okay, you could maybe do an Archer or maybe you do Hill and McHugh instead, not just a money, money thing, but like a, innings deviation and 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 how how many roster spots you're really giving out um but yeah i think it's a really really smart move to kind of we're going to talk a little bit about like ray's pitching strategy but they are really trying to go for that depth they they have clearly identified that coming into this season they are worried about pitching limits and inning limits and how far people can go and how far you can really push starters after a stop start shortened season and then ramp those up again to a full 162 game season. And so you, you look at a guy like Rich Hill, he hasn't pitched over 120 innings in two years. And even then it was about 130. Uh, he, you see Colin McHugh, he hasn't pitched over 70 innings in about three years. But you combine those guys together and you have a very good, very, very good pitcher, just maybe less innings. And that's what the Rays look at. And, and you looked at it even last year with a guy like Blake Snell and uh, Charlie Morton. They don't care that they're not, they're going six, seven innings. They just want as good as you can throw for four or five. Right. And with this bullpen, that's all you need. So you get a guy like Colin McHugh. Is he a starter? Is he a bullpen guy? He's a pitcher. Rich Hill, starter, bullpen guy, he's a pitcher. These guys are just going to get innings. How they're on, how they're used, where that's, if it's the first inning starting or if it's coming in, 
I think they're going to be used in a lot of different ways. And if there's injuries, if they can't go quite as deep into games, that's okay. They're not going to be asked to be the number two starter and get five, six innings every single time out and get 150 innings, 170 innings, 200 innings or anything like that. If you're asking that, which McHugh and Archer have done in the past, which is like important that at this point totally. of career, they're definitely not expected to do that, which I think could could benefit how they pitch. But it really kind of speaks to the way the Rays, and there's a couple other teams that do this, and I'll, and I'll give them their credit in a second, deconstruct how we view the game of baseball in a baseball season. And they've done this for a few years now. They don't just see a rotation of five guys that you need 30 starts out of over a whole season. Like you said, they break it down. This is how many innings we need to record by the end of the year. This is how many outs we need to record by the end of the year. They don't see a traditional rotation. They just see guys that can that can build up through that year. The, old, like the other example for this is the, the opener. They don't see a starter. They see 27 outs that need to be recorded by a collection of different pitchers. And it doesn't matter whether it's the first inning or the ninth inning. Those outs are equal. And the two other clubs that really do this, and it kind of just speaks to where the Rays are right now are the Dodgers and the Yankees in terms of collecting pitching depth. And we could argue, we'd go back and forth over who has more depth or who has a better pitching staff right now. It's, it's probably the Dodgers, especially after the, the big signing they went out and made, but you look at like the guys at the bottom of the Dodgers eight or nine potential starting pitchers. And it's like Dustin May, who's one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. Like they've still guys, got guys like Tony Gonsolin, who have pitched big innings for the Dodgers. You look at the Yankees. They, I know they've got a lot of guys coming back from injury, but they went out and got Corey Kluber and Jameson Tyon. That pushes guys down, like Luis Severino, uh, Domingo Herman, who's joining the team again this year. Really, those three teams are the only ones in baseball that operate like that, and it shows like how successful they've been in recent years, in part because when they're hurt with injury, when they deal with a bunch of injuries, they're prepared for it. And that really kind of, I think, speaks to how the Rays operate and how they're trying to, to build this pitching staff. It, you're, you're totally true. And one of the interesting things with that is that it it's a non-traditional um, preparation for the postseason. A lot of people think, you know, you want the a, a great one, two, and three starter that can carry you to a World Series, right? But if you look at what the Dodgers did, they had a great number one starter, a really good number two starter, which... Clayton Kershaw is a Hall of Famer, but at this point, he's like Walker Bueller is the ace of that staff. Clayton Kershaw is a little step below that, but that's okay. He's still great. He's going to give you five great innings, maybe push that a little bit deeper. Finally, Dave Roberts learned the lesson and not to risk it too far. And suddenly Kershaw's broke his playoff curse, which was just stop exposing him. Uh, <laughs> they use two starters. And a bunch of these other guys to piece through these innings. And they they carved through uh, the National League. With the Rays, they have this, this pitching strategy is kind of built for the postseason because you are looking at each individual game. It's even built better for the postseason potentially this year when you actually have some more off days. Uh, but you are building it basically to, to say, we have 27 outs to get, maybe... From glass now, we're going to get three or four innings. Maybe we, we don't push it to five or six, we're, but we are going to then throw Diego Castillo, then Nick Anderson, then Fairbanks, 
maybe even Rich Hill, maybe Colin McHugh. You, you, can, you can piece together and make sure that you are basically always in an advantage. It's, it's difficult to go through the whole season, but with the way the Rays have built that depth is they are looking at, you know, you get, it's about 1400 innings, 1450, uh, 1458. If you really want which, to get, which specific. could be less, could be less this year with seven inning games and the double headers. Yes. And then it also will oftentimes be less because you also have times when you are leading if you're the home team and you don't have to play the bottom of the ninth, whatever. Right. So basically about 1450 innings and with the Rays and you know, the Dodgers and the Yankees, they're saying we can get that. Maybe the bullpen is going to be our best of those innings, how that's split up, maybe 700 from them, 700 this way. You are breaking it up in different ways. It's, we are still, we are so far away from the days of like four starters that go 200 innings and the fifth starter that goes 150 innings and another guy that goes 70. And that's how you basically get your, 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 and then the, the bullpen goes, you know, three innings each game and it's your best that is so almost antiquated at this point and teams would love to do that but that's really expensive to have that many great players it's really difficult because right now pitching injuries are at an all-time high you you are seeing more arm injuries people are throwing harder people are throwing nastier sliders uh it's just do you want to have these guys healthy and sharp for a full season or do you want to try to push and hopefully get lucky and they stay healthy that full year when maybe that doesn't always happen? Well, yeah, like you said, it's either really expensive to have four guys that can go 200 innings and a guy that can go 150 in your five spot, or you've got guys like Casey Fossum in your starting rotation who are just not good, eating up those innings where you could redistribute those between a few different pitchers and get much better quality innings. Again, yeah, and that's not to... Uh, throw any shade on the 05 Devil Rays because that's pretty easy to do so, uh, or any or any shade on you, Casey Fossum. I just maybe you weren't used correctly. Maybe you shouldn't have thrown 162 innings that season. Anyways, well let's let's talk a little bit more about Rich Hill, and then we'll go into Colin McHugh as well. Rich Hill, 40 years old, the oldest Ray on the team. Can you remember the last time the Rays had a 40 year old player? I I honestly can't. I honestly can't either. Um, I, I should have I should have looked that up. It's listen. It's it's really hot to be forty years old in Tampa right now. <laughs> it's just it's 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 the successful forties the new twenty in Tampa right now. You got you got Tom Brady looking looking sharp at forty three. Rich Hill's young spry guy at only forty. Like Jumbo Diaz wasn't that old, was he? He was late thirties. Okay, I, I think. really I don't have any record like luke scott wasn't nearly that old johnny damon had he hit 40 yet maybe 38 39 in his yeah. 2011 season Who knows? it's always interesting with 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 uh with like athletes because we do it is always funny to think like 35 and you're like look at this grandpa <laughs> over here um before i mean 40 is is legitimately like not old for the earth but like that's 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 old in in sports terms but rich hill is a guy that the way he pitches he's a guy that could still, he can still go a couple more years. Even he, he's not a big power pitcher. He gets by with one of the best curveballs in, in all of baseball, just one of the most fun curveballs in all of baseball as well. So he, he's a guy that can, can do a lot with the way, and actually modern pitching has definitely helped him. I think figure out how to best be the rich Hill that he can be. And you've seen him sort of actually improve his career 
uh, as he's continued, you know, in like Oakland, he, he like took another step up and it, with the Dodgers, he had like a, a huge step up. So like the, the, this was a interesting late career renaissance in a way, not too dissimilar to Charlie Morton doing it in a different way. Charlie's a much more of a power pitcher, but that, that guy that's maybe used modern baseball, the stuff we know about how the body works and how pitching works to get a little bit extra out of what they can do and start to really have some of their best years after 30, after 35 even. Yeah, you're looking at like similar to the Charlie Morton career renaissance that he had after he pitched in Atlanta, after he pitched in Pittsburgh, that really didn't take off until he got to Houston. Rich Hill, very similar. Like he's been pitching in the big league since 2005. He had one really good season in 07. He was a three-win pitcher. Threw almost 200 innings, had a 3.92 ERA, but then he was a reliever and he bounced around. And not until he got, you know, really to the Dodgers, his career started to take off again. And these last couple of years, 2019, 2020, he's dealt with injuries, but the innings he had thrown have been really, really good. His 2020, he threw 38 and two thirds innings with the Minnesota Twins and had a 3.03 ERA, a 4.93 xFIP. But really, you're only dealing with 38 innings. There's not much you can draw from that. He only gave up a couple of home runs last year. Ultimately, like this guy, even after dealing with the injuries, has been a very productive pitcher. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Rich Hill's, he's just a, it's a very big luxury to have a guy like Rich Hill on this team because one, you aren't basically putting him in as a guy that you need to, to be at the top of your rotation and give you innings he can pitch very comfortably. He's done, he's done a lot of roles similar to Colin McHugh in the sense that they've, they've been in the bullpen, they've been in the rotation. And I think they're pretty comfortable with the idea of pitching in a different way, knowing that pitching is all about how many quality innings can you give on a certain day. And however that's utilized is going to be not necessarily the same way or traditional, but it's going to be effective for you. But also Rich Hill is just awesome to have on this team because there is a lot of young pitchers and he's got one of the best curveballs in the game. Maybe that can help him learn a little bit about the best grips there. He's also seen a lot in the game. He's been around to many organizations. He's a guy that has consistently been one of those great clubhouse guys that teaches other people uh, what he knows and helps to keep things at that level. And I think you got a guy like Rich Hill, you get a guy like Chris Archer in particular, both guys who have had that pretty good history and, and reputation as guys that, that carry themselves as professionals that are people that young, younger pitchers can, can look up to, but also talk to. Um, again, similar into that Charlie Morton vein of, of, of not every, not every vet can play that role. Um, but I think Rich Hill is a guy that you, you want on this team for both his on the field and off the field or in the clubhouse, uh, presence. And you're talking about like a year after you lose Charlie Morton, who was that presence in the clubhouse to bring in guys like Archer and, and, and Rich Hill. Again, I'm not going to try to say that these guys are going to put the same up level of production that we expected out of Charlie Morton and Blake Snell. We'll have to see how that plays out in the regular season. But just in terms of, of, the, of the clubhouse vibes is the best words I can come up with. And, and being able to learn from those players uh, is going to be really, really important, I think, for this team. I did try to do a quick fact check. Jose Molina was pretty old. I believe when he last played for the Rays, though, 
He was like 38. He's 45 years old now, and he last played in 2014 for the Rays. So not even a 40-year-old player out of, out of Jose Molina. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Let's move on to Colin McHugh, who I think is like more of an interesting signing. Because Rich Hill, you expect him, for the most part, to be a starting pitcher. They might experiment throwing him behind an opener every once in a while. But Colin McHugh is the guy whose role, I have no idea what his role is going to be. He could end up being like low end, one end of the spectrum, a mop-up, long reliever, or he could end up stepping in and having to eat a bunch of innings for this team. He last pitched for the Astros in 2019, 74 and two-thirds innings at a 4.7 ERA. But you go back to his early years with the Astros, 2015, he threw 200 innings, 203 innings to be exact, was a three-and-a-half win pitcher. Uh, over a, over the span of three years, he was like pretty much accumulated like 10 wins above replacement. He was, when the, when the Astros were finally starting to turn things around, one of their best starters and one of the best starters in the American League. Darby, what are you expecting out of, out of Colin McHugh this year? So McHugh has is, is been a guy that I think I've wanted on the Rays for a while. And I, I think there's a lot of reports that they were... I mean, here, here's the thing. He went, he signed with Boston. So you, you yeah. kind of know that with Heim over there, it probably worked with some similar data sets that that I think the Rays, the Astros, obviously super, one of the more advanced analytic teams. It's it's interesting, the teams that are all circling that guy, right? And Colin McHugh is a guy that that every role he's been in, he has actually succeeded. And he has just been a very, very good pitcher. He's been able to take on also the role of, multi-inning relief and be able to handle that well. And not everybody does. I think you saw in like the postseason with uh, Jay Happ, he came in after an opener. He said afterwards he wasn't comfortable and he made it clear. And then he got hit and he was clearly just seemingly upset about that. That's, that is a, a real concern. And you do need to have guys that are both talented pitchers, but also embrace that role and sort of see what that role can be for them as well as for the team. Um, Colin McHugh is a guy that I do see, we're going to do a little over under on, on pitching numbers. So I don't want to spoil that, but he's a guy I think that we're going to see a lot of. Um, and I don't think we're going to see him traditional start. I think we could see him get a couple games started uh, and, and maybe a couple of times there, but I think he's going to be almost in that uh, Jalen Beeks role that they were, that they were really looking for. Or maybe even like that Aaron Slegger's role towards the end of that season as a guy that when he's coming in, he's maybe pitching two to three to four innings twice a week rather than uh, your starter who's going, you know, every five days or your relievers that are maybe every other day. Uh, I think Colin McHugh's a guy that's going to give you pretty long kind of bulk in a way, but he could be a guy that you you piggyback off of a, a, of a, a Waka or a Archer, or a Hill, or a Josh Fleming, or anybody, and he gives you a different look, especially if you pair him with a lefty. Like, you got the slow uh, sweeping curves from Rich Hill, and then you come to Colin McHugh, who's got a really good fastball and a really good power slider coming from the right side. That's a pretty frustrating day at the office between those two, but I I think he's going to be a role that the Rays have really liked, which is a one to two times through the order pitcher, you know, bullpen start. He's a one to two times through the order pitcher. He doesn't make or break the roster. This sign doesn't move the needle one way or the other, but when you get this close to the start of the season, you make a signing like this, 
it feels like it just completes the roster. You know, you got this one piece that, you know, that's a good guy. He's going to fill in those innings. He's not going to be great. He could be great. But it just feels like that completes the roster, especially when we talked about, like, what, what this Rays team is made up of. The other signing they've made pretty late on is the signing of, of Chaz Rowe on a major league deal. I was shocked to hear it was a major league deal. It seemed like we just kept signing all these free agents to major league deals. We're like, well, we're running out of roster space. We were talking about all these guys that have options left that could have made it out of camp. Some of these guys, including guys that pitched really well last year, they might not have a spot given who what the Rays have done. So let's talk about Chaz. I know we talked about Chaz Rowan last week's episode, but Darby, like to me, this seems like a very uh, low risk, high reward type type signing. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, I think we we were we were looking at a guy like Chaz Rowe thinking that somebody, some other team out there would be like, bring him on. Uh, Adam Adovino was just traded mostly, mostly to clear some cap space, but like he, he is a guy that uh, luxury tax space, not cap. There's no cap technically. Um, <laughs> only rich teams just counted as a cap. Uh, anyway, the Adam Adovino has a lot of money and he is a guy that is a high profile name. Chaz Rowe has been basically Adam Adovino. He's got the crazy slider. It's very difficult. He gets a lot of ground balls. He has been a absolute death to right-handed hitters for his career. And the last few years, especially, he's really kind of come into his own with the Rays. So you look at that guy and you're like, wow, if Adam Adovino was a sought-after commodity just two years ago, why wouldn't Chaz Rowe? Suddenly, he's still on the market. If you can get him back, I mean, the Rays are going to look at it as you can maybe find a guy that can, can be a Chaz Rowe, maybe a 90% of Chaz Rowe or 85% or maybe the next guy. If you get a Chaz Rowe, suddenly the guy that you maybe thought could be that now is in dirt. Now you have a guy that's, that's locked in and you have his potential replacement and that depth just gets so much better with, with the signing of, of Hill, McHugh, Rowe, and then it's going to be more towards later in the season. Cause he's going to start, he's still dealing with an injury, but Oliver Drake, Another guy brought on major league yeah. deal. These are guys that are key pieces of the last raised bullpen that are now just the back end of the bullpen or the, the, the lower part of the bullpen. And they are just replacing guys that were really good last year. And then you have a bunch of really talented young talent. That's going to be on the doorstep that are just behind them. So the depth is the last few signings, the, this flurry of signings, Drake, McHugh, Hill, and then really out of nowhere, the Chaz Rowe one just increases that depth to such a level that it does make you feel really confident looking at this roster, looking at the depth. Uh, the top end is maybe not going to be the thing that you're going to rank highly on these on these like preseason uh, articles when you compare it to like a rotation again of like the Yankees. You don't have Garrett Cole. But you don't have Clayton Kershaw, look, Trevor Bauer, Walker Bueller, David Price. Yeah, you don't have a bunch of Cy Young winners. But if you look at that depth, you you have a few teams that can match you with depth. Dodgers are right there. Even the Padres, think about what they did this offseason. And they basically signed or traded an entire rotation to fill out around uh, Denelson Lament. They still don't have much depth, right? They, they have a really awesome prospect ready to go. But the Rays also have their other best pitching prospect <laughs> in Luis Patino. And he's not going to make the opening day roster probably because there's so many talented guys. 
And he's there with the former fourth overall pick in Brendan McKay and former one of the top prospects in baseball and Brett Honeywell and Josh Fleming, who was basically Ryan Yarbrough last. There's a bunch of guys that are not going to make the roster that are going to be in the five man rotation for Durham that could be in not just like a rotation, but like a third or fourth starter in a lot of rotations in baseball right now. And that's going to be good later in the season because there's going to be injuries. There's going to be dings. Hopefully it's minor stuff, but this is a full season and people are going to be ramping up. This is going to be a test of depth, just like last year was a test of depth. And the Rays, if you look at this depth, signings of Rowe and, and Drake, McHugh, Hill, it just pushes the depth. It just extends it out. And it's really exciting. I'm not one to say that a AAA team could beat a big league team over a seven-game series. But I would be curious to ask MLB, well, we have to see how the rosters pan out, ask MLB executives if they would, if any of them would trade their pitching staff with the Durham Bulls pitching staff at the beginning of the year. Like, look at the names you just mentioned, Patino, McKay, and Fleming. Three Patino, I know he, he didn't have the best of starts to his big league career. Fleming did. McKay was all right. You got Brent Honeywell, who hasn't pitched in a few years. And then you look at some of the guys in the bullpen, like Ryan Thompson, who was throwing meaningful innings for the Rays last year in the postseason. Look at some of these these names that are going to build up that Durham pitching staff that will definitely play a huge role in the major league season as well once there's injuries and movement and stuff like that. Um, but it's, it's it's really exciting. And is it Jared Sandberg? Is he, he still the Durham Bulls uh, manager? Or did he move on to Seattle? He went to Seattle. He's, He's the bench, bench coach, coach in right? Seattle. Yeah. So I, I honestly do not know who the Durham Bulls manager is now. Uh, but he's probably drooling looking at this pitching staff that is yeah. going to be headed to the Carolinas uh, as soon as camp breaks. But let's take a look at some of these guys, and we'll wrap up today's episode with a little over-under game. Maybe this is a new segment for the podcast. We can experiment with it a little bit. But we're going to look through potential starters slash bulk guys slash headliners, as I like to call them, and try to get a little over-under on their innings pitched at the big league level in 2021. And we'll start off with one of the guys they acquired in the trade with the Boston Red Sox, Chris Mazza. He was traded with Jeffrey Springs in exchange for Ronaldo Hernandez, who we've talked about on the podcast, but was the Rays' top-catching prospect at one point in time. So obviously, either the Rays didn't like Hernandez that much anymore, or they really liked what they could potentially get out of Springs and Mazza. And Darby, we'll set his over-under at 50 innings. What do you think? Ooh, that's a good, that's a good over under. You're, you're a good line. You're a good line over there. <laughs> Brett MGM uh, Rutherford. Um, 50. I want to say over. Really? By like, by a couple, by a couple. Why, I, I why think so? I, maybe, maybe it's just Ian Malinowski's amazing article on him that has swayed me over. But I do think I could see somewhere in the, I think 50 is right in the range of it. But I'll say I'll take the over and, and, you know, maybe he gets 51, 50 and one third innings. But I think 50 is actually something that I could see, see getting from a guy like Maza. His biggest competition coming into the camp, I think I could see him starting the season with the, with the major league club. I think you have a, a interesting battle with Fleming and Richards. And Richards is out of option. No, Richards has one option. Left. He does have an option. Yeah. Thanks to Neil Salons for, for confirming that. Um, so, so, if he doesn't make the club out of spring, I think it's going to be an under, but I think right at, 
Maybe I'll say push. I'll say push. I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> Started off with a, a push. cop out answer. Well, yeah. I mean, he threw 30 innings last year in a 60 game season for the Red Sox. Now, caveat: the Boston Red Sox pitching staff was terrible last year, and if Chris Mazza is throwing the equivalent to 30 innings in a 60 game season, if he's throwing 80 innings for the big league club, not to say like if he's good, like he's fine, that's great. But if he's getting 80 innings, that means there's probably some injuries along the way. Like the Red Sox dealt with a lot last year. Chris Sale, Eduardo Rodriguez both missed the entire season. Um, but I don't see it. Again, it's early in spring, and I haven't really seen him pitch for the Rays yet. But with the na- the list of names that are already here, and I think we're going to get Brendan McKay back at some point. I think he's going to pitch in the, the big leagues. And with Brent Honeywell, and maybe this is wishful thinking, but I think Brent Honeywell... I, this is probably wishful thinking, but I think he's going to come out with uh, a fire under his, his butt in Durham and want to get to the big league level as quickly as he can. And hopefully he does. So I'm going to take the under on Maza, but if, I mean, if we could, we can make the argument if there's injuries that all of these guys would go over the lines we set. I just think sure. it'd be really tough sure. for Maza to get to that number. So you went with a push and I'll take the I'll under on Maza. All right, let's go to the next guy. I just mentioned him, Brent Honeywell Jr., the Fangraphs projections have him at 50 innings, and we'll go ahead and set his over-under at 50 innings, too, for our purposes. Darby, what do you think about Brent Honeywell? Uh, under, but I think he's going to be used uh, uh, as a one-time-through-the-order type of guy. I think he's going to be maybe one to maybe two times through the order. So more in the Colin McHugh-style two- to three-inning appearance later in the season. Um but I think they're going to give him a long runway in Durham. So I'm going to go under, but I do think he's going to throw some meaningful innings for the Rays in, in 2021. Just not that many. I, I'm going to go with, with mm, I know I just said how, how, how much I think he's going to pitch really well once he gets to Durham. I, I'm going to go with the under strictly because I could see him, and kind of like you just mentioned, transitioning into a middle reliever type of guy, maybe a high leverage reliever, an A bullpen type of guy, if he really buys into that role. Because this is a guy who hasn't pitched in a, in a professional game since 2017. He is chomping at the bit to get back on a pitching mound, like just in any way possible. And I think he's a guy that if the Rays said, look, you know, we need you to be a one-inning guy out of the bullpen on the, at the big league level, that's something he would embrace just to get out there. And with the mentality that, that, that Honeywell kind of has for those that have kind of followed his, his professional career to this point and the great stuff that he has. I mean, I know he's also got like a screwball. He's got some interesting off, off-speed and breaking stuff. I could see him becoming uh, a, a, a one-inning type of reliever. I don't know if he's going to be on the big league club with that role long enough to eclipse 50 innings. I hope, I hope he is, though. I hope he gets that chance. But he's going to have to earn it with, with Durham and – Luckily for him, he got that, that extra option. So we're both going under for, for Brent Honeywell. Next up is Brendan McKay. And this is an interesting one. I really don't know where to set this over under because of his injury. And at one point, I thought he might even miss like most of this season. He did have like sh- exploratory shoulder surgery, which we're still really not sure what that means. Always great to just open it up and take a take a peek. Take a peek under the hood of, of your muscle muscleature. <laughs> let's let's set it at 75 though, because he ha- is a guy that's been on the big league roster uh, but before he got hurt. 
And so I'm going to bump it up a little bit from 50. But what do you think about Brent, uh, Brendan McKay over under 75? I'll go slightly under. I think he's going to be in the, the 65, 70 range. I, I think he's going to, he's going to get a good, he's going to get a good run. It's, I think he, like you said, injury is a little bit of a concern and I think they're going to try to bring him along carefully. Um, but I do think he's going to get a pretty good amount of run with the Rays. And as a starter, he's, he's more, I think his best strength is uh, his, his control, his depth of pitching and his ability to kind of be multiple innings. So I, I think uh, slightly under. What about this over under seven and a half starts for Brennan McKay? Seven and a half. Uh, I'll go over. Slightly over. I, I do think if he's healthy, they see him above, probably below who they have at number five right now, which would be Michael Waka. I think internally they would have him just below Michael Waka. But I think right now they probably have him above the Josh Flemings of the world, the Colin McHughes of the world, all these other guys that might be in the mix for bulk innings. He's definitely above them. And if he's healthy and he's good to go, he might even then eclipse Waka. So if he's healthy, like he'll get, if he say he's back by June on a big league mound, he'll get eight starts. I, I think they view yeah. him that highly because he's pitched so well. I know in, in his rookie year, he had a five, one, four ERA, but some of the, his peripheral numbers looked really good. The strikeout stuff was still there. He still limited the walk. He had a bit of a problem with the home run ball, but not nothing too, too crazy. So I think, yeah, if he's healthy, I'll take the over on the innings, and I would take the over on, on seven and a half starts as well. So we both go over on Brendan McKay. Mm-hmm. All right, and next we're going to go with Shane McClanahan, a guy who made his big league debut in the postseason last year as a reliever. I still think they're going to try to work him out as a starting pitcher or a headliner, but just because of the way the roster is put together, I'm going to set his over-under at, at 50 innings. What do you think? Mm. That's, that's a tempting one. Uh, yeah, he's a starter until he's needed or proves otherwise. Um, do you want to hear my reasoning first? Yeah, I would. I would. Yeah. So if they view him as a starter, he's going to pitch most of the year in Durham because there's just no way for him to break in yet unless – the roster is absolutely decimated. And if they view him as a reliever, I think it's going to be hard for him to get to 50 innings. You're going to have to get, you know, 35 to 45 appearances at least to get to 50 innings, unless they view him as a two or three inning type of guy. So just right now, when you look at they, they in terms of left-handed relievers in the bullpen, they just went out and got another one in Jeffrey Springs. I don't see a way for McClanahan. I, 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 he could go over 50, but I don't see him getting to the 75 or getting close to a hundred, just given the way that the roster is set up. Yeah. I think that's a good read. I, I'll go under just because I, I just don't see a, a strong path to getting a lot of innings. I, I think I put him below Fleming and McKay on the left-handed starter range. And I think in terms of prospects, I probably, I put him below Patino as well. And I think you also have them right in that range where you could potentially go with like a Maza or a Richards, one of those, those more steady guys rather than, than McClanahan. I, I think you could see him in the bullpen. 
variety roles, but yeah, I'll go under. I'm, I'm going to go under as well. A guy that, again, you look at how, how good he is and how highly like touted a prospect he is. He would be probably on the doorstep, if not in most big league rotations. So, again, another testament to the Rays' depth. Let's go with Joe Ryan next. And again, yeah, I think for, for this group of guys, 50 innings is kind of the number. Uh, I'll go first. Joe Ryan, I, like, without the 2020 minor league season, kind of really hurts it. Not hurt his development, but hurt his ability to contribute at the for the 2021 team. So I'm going to go under for Joe Ryan. Yeah, under under for me as well. There's some guys that you just want to get some time uh, with competitive baseball uh, at, at Durham, I think. So I'm I'm going under. That'll bring us to, to Josh Fleming. And for him, I got to go over 50. We'll say, let's let's say for Josh Fleming, let's go over under 100 innings. Ooh, that's a good one. I, I'm going to go under just because of the start of the season, but I, I think I think he's going to be in that 80-90 range. I think he's going to get 10, 12 starts, um, maybe more. I do think the competition right there with McKay is pretty close. And I'm pretty high on Fleming. Uh, you know, what? I'm going to go push. I'm going to say exactly 100. Okay. I'm going to go. Push. I'm going to go another push. I'm going to go another push. What sets Fleming aside from all the other guys we've listed is that he's had the best major league numbers out of all of them. He threw 32 and a third innings last year. Had a 2.78 ERA. With walks per nine was under two. He was really good. And like you said, he was like the Ryan Yarbrough 2.0 for that raised team. So even if a bunch of guys get injured, if McKay's not fully healthy, if they're not fully impressed with what they're seeing out of Shane McClanahan, Josh Fleming is a guy, and it wasn't a huge sample size, but he's shown that he can pitch productive innings at the big league level. With that being said, 100 innings would be a lot for him, especially with the signings they've made, with the trades they've made. If it weren't for the the Rich Hill signing, Fleming might be your number five either starter or bulk guy on opening day. And with without or with Rich Hill to get to that hundred inning number, and I think Fleming's a guy that's good enough to pitch a hundred innings in a big league season. I'm gonna go under uh, for Josh Fleming. You've got the push. I do like the push. I could see him getting really close. The next guy it's, it's is... gonna be it's gonna be right there. I mean, the, he's he's such an interesting pitcher. Gets sixty percent ground ball rate. He's been a ground ball machine throughout the minors. I think the Rays are actually very high on Josh Fleming, so I do think he's gonna be right at that range. Yeah, it, it, it could get really close. the The next guy I want to talk about, um, and I got, might have to set his number real low, is is Trevor Richards. Um, I'll go 50 innings again. We won't go any lower than 50, but a guy that we do know he has an option. If he didn't have that option, I would set his over-under at half an inning because I don't yeah. think he would be with the organization outside. You know, after spring training is over. But now that he's got that option, we'll set his over-under at 50, and I'm pretty hard set on the under on this one. Again, a lot of things would have to go wrong, in my opinion. Not to say that Trevor Richards is a bad pitcher, because I know we've had that discussion on the site and on this podcast uh, and there's a few people that are, you know, not Trevor Richards uh, stands, but there are definitely some Trevor Richards haters. Uh, one person in particular that I'm thinking about, but w- what are your thoughts on <laughs> over under 50 innings for, for Trevor Richards? I think it's going to be under. Um, if it's over, I think that's a really good sign for Trevor Richards getting that change up back 
and his fastball velo back. I think the pitcher that they traded for a couple of years ago with Nick Anderson, that Trevor Richards, I think has a, has a chance to like make this roster. The pitcher we saw last year does not. Um, so that's going to be an interesting spring training. I think him and Maza are, a, a, I, I don't think it's going to be hard to keep both on the roster on the 40 man. Um, and I think one could be traded as like an Austin Pruitt type move. Whereas a guy that's good that, that actually could definitely compete for a rotation, but this is a very stacked rotation. Um, so I'm going to go under, but if at the end of the season, he pitches more than that, I think that's a more of a good sign to Trevor Richards kind of reclaiming that last year, the Marlins success, uh, then a disaster has befallen the, the 2021 Tampa Bay Rays. I agree with you because if the Rays are in a position where they're forced to put Richards to in a, in a bigger role and he's not pitching very well, he's a guy that they'll just, they'll just move on from. They would rather give those innings to maybe a guy like Joe Ryan or Shane McClanahan or any one of those young arms that could use the big league innings. So I, I agree with you. If he does get over 50, great sign for Richards. I just don't see it happening, especially now with that option. They can kind of shelf him in Durham, maybe move him. Maybe if they need the roster spot, he's probably high up on the chopping block. So I like the under there as well. Next, let's talk about the big return for Blake Snell, Luis Patino. Um, a tough one because he was used as a reliever last year for San Diego. Obviously, I don't think the Rays view him as a reliever. At least I hope not. Uh, but we'll go... We'll go 75 innings for Luis Patino over under... And I'm, I'm kind of curious as to what your thoughts are first. Uh, good, good set at one at 75. Um, the thing with Patino is I I'm incredibly high on him. I think he has amazing stuff. I think there is a potential argument that he might have better stuff than Mackenzie Gore. Uh, I think his height does offer a little bit more, um, question marks, which is why I think Gore is rightly, ranked higher in a lot of prospect rankings. But I do think you have a guy like Patino, top 25 prospect in all of baseball, one of the best right-handed pitching prospects in all of baseball. Um, it's for a good reason. He has absolutely wicked stuff. I do think the Rays last year, again, the, the lack of minor leagues really throws a, a, a huge curveball into all of this with all pitching you know, prospects. So I think with the Rays, they think he is a guy that could be a top of the rotation starter for them. Maybe even by the time the postseason rolls around, they're going to give him a lot of runway as well in Durham to kind of go under the hood with him here, give him that opportunity to build that arm up and to give him as strong a chance in the majors. 75. I do want to see him pitch as much as possible. Cause I think quality innings wise, you know, he's going to be higher than a lot of the guys we've mentioned on this list. Um, I'm going to go under 70. I'm going to go under. I think it's going to be a guy that you call up later in the season, but I think he could play a big role come postseason. I'm going to take the over. It's very, like very that. close. You're, you're, like... you're the better. You're, I'm glad somebody took the over because I didn't have the confidence in it, but I do think, I like that. And, and my reasoning is going to kind of be explained once we get to the the more 
established names in the quote-unquote rotation, which might not be a rotation this year. And I could see him hitting within that 75 to 90 innings pitched range just because, like you said, the stuff is so good. And he had pitched in the big leagues last year. Wasn't great in the big leagues, but only pitched like 17 innings. So nothing to worry about there. And once he gets started, he's not going to be on the opening day roster, but once he gets started in Durham, looking at like his numbers from what he did in the minor leagues, like this guy's going to tear up AAA. I don't know what the divisions are this year. That's not the international league anymore, I don't think. He never actually pitched at the AAA level with San Diego. He only pitched in AA, and only a few innings in AA for that matter. But he has carved up the minor leagues, and I don't see any reason for that to change in 2021. I think he's going to be in the big league in the big leagues by midseason, and I think he's going to be a starter. Like I really think that with the way the Rays would have had to view him, given the fact that they traded Blake Snell with three years of control. I know they got Francisco Mejia, Blake Hunt, Cole Wilcox, but this was the the bell cow for this trade. Like they wanted Luis Patino, and he was, like you said, arguably the best pitching prospect in that Padres farm system. I'll take the over, but I, I think it's a slight over because I don't think he busts into the rotation until midseason. And that brings us to some of the more established names. We'll go to Colin McHugh next again. I a weird role, so we'll go we'll go at seventy five if we're viewing him more as a reliever to start the year. Uh, so Darby over under seventy five for Colin McHugh. Uh, over. I think he's squarely in that eighty to a hundred. I, I think he's. Probably in that, like, I think 75 to 90 is actually the better range, but I'll go, I'll go over. I think he's going to be used uh, quite a bit, again, in a very modern usage. I think he's reliable, and I'm going to go over, too. Like, I, I think out of all the guys you brought back for multiple innings out of the bullpen, you trust him more than you trust Trevor Richards. You trust him more than you probably trusted guys like John Curtis and Aaron Sleggers last year. There's a reason they brought him in on a major league deal to not be a traditional starter. If they trust him, I think he's going to be the guy early on when you need multiple innings until someone else steps up, until one of these young guys steps up, he's going to be that guy that can get you potentially three or four innings out of the bullpen. So I'll take the over over there as well for, for Colin McHugh. Uh, next guy. We'll for, go, for instance, with like Aaron Sleggers, he had 26 pitch, innings pitched last year in a 60-game season. Right that's the role that you're basically getting a boosted upgrade in with McHugh. So 26 innings, if that goes to Sledgers, I think, I think you're well in that 75 to 90 range is pretty locked in. Yeah, I agree. Now let's go to what you could call the quote unquote uh, confirmed rotation or guys that you know are going to start the year as either starters or pitch behind an opener for multiple innings. And We'll start with, with Rich Hill. So right now, Fangrass has him projected at 113. I'm going to set his over-under at 120. What do you think? I'm going to go under slightly. I think he, I think 110, 100 to 115, that, that kind of range. But if we can get like a really good 110, maybe even 120, but I'm looking at 100 innings. Give me a great 100 innings and I'll be over the moon. For Rich Hill. I like that too. I'll, I'll go under. Rich Hill knew what he was getting into like when he signed here. He knows where he's at in his career. And if you look at a guy like Charlie Morton, who not only didn't mind getting pulled early in games, kind of embraced it. He knew he could go out there for four or five innings 
and give his best four or five innings. He wasn't trying to stretch himself out to be a guy that goes into the seventh or eighth inning every single time he goes out there. He went out and pitched dominantly for those four or five that he was going to be on the mound. I think Rich Hill is going to embrace that, that same mentality. Obviously, he's a very different pitcher from Charlie Morton, but he knows what the Rays expect out of him, and, and, and he knows what he expects out of the Rays. And I think that's why this was kind of a match made in heaven for the two parties. And I do like like the under there as well. Uh, and and I, I just I think 100 innings of Rich Hill might be more valuable than 150 innings of Rich Hill at this point in his career in terms of the type of innings he'll, he'll give you. Especially because I think you're going to get more of those innings, ideally, in October. So exactly. you want to save some of those good innings for there. Definitely, definitely. So we'll both get the under on Rich Hill. Next, we'll go to Michael Walker. Fangraphs has him projected at 102, or 122 innings, and we'll, we'll keep the number right at 120 innings for Waka as well. And I don't know. Some part of me thinks this is going to be right around 120. I, I have him right around as a push. I think this is a guy the Rays want to get 25 to 30 starts from, and I, I honestly don't know why. Like He's not going to be one of the better pitchers in the rotation, but he was the first guy they brought in after getting rid of Snell and well, had Snell been traded when Waka was signed? no, no. This was wow. this was the first. So so Charlie Morton was, um, I believe he had just signed with Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah, I, I I don't remember living in a world in which Blake Snell was still a Tampa Bay Ray. So I don't remember what I thought that when the signing was made. Um, but this is a guy that has been pretty healthy most of his career. He's eaten innings. He was pretty solid for the Cardinals. He had a couple of years where he only had fifteen starts. Last year he made, you know, he only pitched 34 innings. But I think this is a guy that's got a clean bill of health coming into camp. And they're going to try to to ride him a little bit more because they know they can. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm going to actually over. go, I'm going to go over as well. I, I think, uh, like, right in that 120, 130 range is, yeah. That, that's like a, that's, I feel like in most years, that's a 150 to 175 range. And I think the Rays have decided that that's 150 to 175 is going to be really pushing it for a lot of guys that pitched last year uh, as starters. So I think 120, 130 is, is going to be more the traditional starter range. Well, I guess that kind of brings us to these last three guys. And we'll go to Chris Archer first over under 150 innings. Chris Archer is a guy that was a 200 inning guy for a good chunk of his career with the Rays. And that's why the Rays valued him so much. He threw over 200 innings as recently as 2017 and 2019, even in over 23 starts, he threw 119 and two-thirds innings. He's been brought back on a one-year deal, back with a team that, that kind of made him who he was. I'm going to go under 150 innings. And I, my my picks for the next two are going to kind of explain that one as well. But Darby, what do you think? I can't go over 150, especially come, coming back off a year dealing with TOS. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go the safe bet and go under. Um, I do think he's gonna get again like Waka 130 innings, um, but again I think with the depth, he hasn't gone over 150 in in three years. I don't think he'll do that now. And I don't think they're going to want to ramp him up to that level. So I'll go under. He is a guy though, where I could see him throwing 
if he's relatively healthy, if he doesn't have a you know a season-ending injury, I could see him being as low as 100 innings in this season and as high as 150. Like I, th- I think totally. he is a guy that, depending on how he comes back from this really serious medical issue that he was dealing with, and if he's if he's good to go, I could see the Rays using him in not in a similar way to he's not going to go out and pitch seven or eight innings every game like he was doing when he was kind of at his his in his prime years with the Rays. But he's a guy, again, they know they can lean on. And again, I think both parties kind of agreed on what his role would be. And I think that's why he's so excited to come back in a similar vein to Rich Hill because he trusts the Rays and how they're going to deploy him. But I'm going to go, yeah, under on Chris Archer at 150. Ryan Yarbrough will set him at 150 innings again, a guy that has been kind of the talk of the town with uh, the whole arbitration process. And we talked a lot about that on last week's episode. He's yet to hit 150 innings in his career. He did throw in his rookie season while only making six starts, 147 in a third innings. And he's a guy that he won't start a lot of games, but he'll come in in the second and pitch all the way into the seventh or eighth. He can eat a lot of innings for you, but how do you feel about him getting to that 150 mark this year? I'm going to go over. Really? I'm go over. Okay. I, I think, uh, so Fangraph's depth charts has him at about 160. I think it's right in that range. I think I think he's going to be a guy the Rays lean on to get a bit more length and a bit more bulk than than the others. So I'm going to go over. I, I'm going to take the under at, at 150, but I think it's pr- probably pretty close. I think it's 130, 140. If I, if I were actually going to bet on it, I probably wouldn't touch it. I think it's going to be pretty close to that number. Um, but a guy that's really proven himself and coming out of his first year of arbitration, he's going to potentially get to go through it three more times. This is a big year for him. Like he's probably, I wouldn't say there's any hard feelings, but he lost his arbitration case to the Rays. That's not something he wants to do again. He wants to earn more money as he goes through these arbitration years. I expect a big year out of him. 150, especially for a guy that's never done it with his in, in his career. To do it this year, coming after out of the shortened season, I think it's going to be tough for him this year, but maybe next year he pitches full season, he stays healthy. Next year he might even get up to close to, to 175 or even get close to 200, just out of the type of pitcher he is. We know guys like Kyle Hendricks, Marco Gonzalez. These are 200-inning mm-hmm. pitchers. Ryan Yarbrough could become that. I just don't think this is the year for that yet for, for Ryan Yarbrough. Let's go to Tyler Glass now next, the quote-unquote ace of this staff after you lose Charlie Morton and Blake Snell. And once again, the over-under will set it at, at 150 for this exercise. Fangraphs has him at 161. And I'll, I'll start this one off. I think that this one's going to go under. I think you've seen the best of Tyler Glass now when he kind of knows that he's on a, a not on a short leash, but he's not going to have to pitch into the 6th, 7th, or 8th inning. And I think the Rays are going to kind of blow up the what we've known as the ace role or the horse the guy that they, they they tried Chris Archer to be, where he's going to go 200 innings, and you're going to, if the innings are great, awesome. If the innings are okay, fine. Tyler Glass now, I think the way they view him as a pitcher, he's been a primarily a two-pitch guy. Like, go back to how, like, his best start of the year was ALDS game five, when he only threw two innings. Like, he was unreal. On, on two days saying, rest. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying he's only going to go two innings every start, but he might only go four, maybe five innings every start, and he might strike out every single batter he faces. So I think Tyler Glass now is poised for a big season, but even as the Rays ace, I've got him under 150 innings. 
150 is a real good number. Real that that's a really good number. I think if he gets you round 30 starts, round five innings each, that puts you right at 150. Just for just for variety, just because you put the under, I'm gonna pick the over. But I do think it's again, it's similar to like you said with Yarborough. This would not be a bet I would take at all because I think they're both gonna be I 140 to 160, any number in that range, not not at all surprising. Wouldn't blink an eye. So I'm gonna go slight, I'll go over, but I think it's because it, I'm not gonna end on a push. <laughs> but I do, but I do think I do think it's going to be right at one fifty. I, I think look, looking at the moves the Rays have made, to like even after you lost Morton and Snell, this is still a very deep pitching staff. You go in, you bring in Archer, you bring in Waka, you bring in Rich Hill. Those moves have showed me that this is not going to be a five man rotation. This is going to be a group of eight to ten guys that are going to eat up the bulk of these innings. And this goes back to what I think about Luis Patino and Brendan McKay once they're on the big league roster. They want these guys to throw meaningful innings in the big leagues, and they're not going to use them as relievers. They're going to try to take some of that burden off guys like Tyler Glasnow and Ryan Yarbrough, who are still very young pitchers very early on in their careers. And I think the way the Rays are going to operate, unlike any other team except for maybe the Dodgers, is going to really benefit them in this 2021 season. And once again, like we said at last year, just like the Rays were built for a short sprint 60-game season, I think they're built for the first year back to 162 games where there's still going to be a lot of issues around COVID. That's something we didn't even talk about. Like, there are still going to be guys that have to go in the COVID protocols, can have a pitcher scratch from his start. There are going to be innings that are going to appear out of thin air for some of these guys that are going to be on the taxi squad, that are going to be in Durham. And it's going to be kind of an all hands on deck approach in, in 2021. Totally. And, and I think the raise, the raise method of being maybe not the team that is easy to project in, in your Pocota or, or depth chart um, ratings, the team that's not easy to sort of look, you know, second base for second base, shortstop or shortstop, first starter, second starter, third starter. I think the top end may not, appear to a lot of folks or come through in those projections but the fact that you can go down to the second third fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth in a lot of places and still get a, a level of production whether it's through platoons or wh whether for pitching you are using people in shorter innings piggybacking using bulk using openers using quick hooks to the pen i think you can get the most out of this depth and I think depth is, it's, I would rather come into this season with a lot of depth uh, of all seasons. The, this one and last year, I feel much more comfortable coming in with depth than I would if I had an absolute awesome starting rotation and a barren wasteland below that. <laughs> I agree with you 100% there. It's going to be really the, the big storyline, I think, so far for this 2021 season is just how the Rays use their pitching staff though but, but with that being said before we wrap things up for this week of spring training is there a specific storyline or a specific player that you're keeping an eye out on uh i want to see the new guys pitch um obviously but i think it's got to be the return of chris archer i think this is our first chance to see him back in the columbia blue see him with that starburst 
see him. You know, I, it's that's going to be just really. I mean, I'm excited to see a Rich Hill curveball or Colin McHugh slider, see the new Glass now pitch, but it. I, I think it's got to be Archer just because he's back. So I, that's going to be super fun to see. Yeah, the seeing Chris Archer and like those photos that you're getting from the first few days of spring training. The only other guy that if they brought him into camp would would probably make me more emotional. He's with the San Francisco Giants. It's Scott Casimir. Uh, if if they would have brought him back on a on a non roster, you know, just invitation to spring training, well, man, that would have been quite emotional to see Scott Casimir back in the Rays uniform. But good luck to him in, in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking at Archer too, and not to take too much stock into spring training box scores, but Austin Meadows first game had a home run, and his guy had been very publicly down on after his 2020, and. Not to say that he can't be a really good big league hitter, but I think watching him and how frustrated he was in 2020, he slimmed down last year. Like he dealt with COVID pretty badly. And like, that's not something to sneeze at. Like he was sick and he had to try to come back and play baseball for the best team in the American league and try to fit into that roster, fit into that lineup. And it's going to be really interesting to see how he does kind of in these first few spring games back. And, and, and how he's going to be focused on, on the 2021 season. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you to Darby Robinson for hopping on. Thank you to everyone who is listening. Make sure to head on over to BRaiseBay.com to check out all of the great spring training coverage. I'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah.